Hello, and welcome to the Elite Squad Pod. Thank you for joining our Elite Squad. I'm Paige Agrella. Hello, I was taking a sip of water. And I'm Brittany Porter. I was not taking a sip of water. But now I am. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'll take over during this sip of water. Uh, This is the Elite Squad Pod, as Brittany said, and this is our kind of a love letter podcast (laughs) to Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Each week, we are going to recap an episode in order. Um, Paige and I are both huge fans of Special Victims Unit. If it wasn't so swelteringly hot in our apartments, we would be wearing our uh, executive producer Dick Wolf sweatshirts, but it is uh, way too hot for that nonsense. I want you to know I'm wearing my Mariska Hardigay. Oh my God, I should probably say your name right in our podcast, right? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Potentially. I've got my Mariska necklace on, Fearlessness, which I bought when I was like deeply obsessed with SVU and probably about like 2011, 2012, I think that's when my obsession really kicked in. It did peak because we even had a Law and Order Special Victims Unit magnet featuring just Olivia and Elliot, which was appropriate. We didn't need the other people. Oh my God, wait, I don't, not that we don't love the other people, it's just sometimes I get mad at them. No, they're annoying. Which yeah, they're we'll, annoying. We'll actually get into this episode uh, there's a lot of bullshit to talk about here. Oh, God. So much bullshit, both culturally. Just <laughs> like, I took issue with much of the dialogue. There's a lot to unwrap there. A lot to unwrap. But that, so talking about your peak obsession with this beautiful show, how did you specifically get into Lawn or SVU? What was your intro? So I have to say... Um, I have always been a huge fan of the detective story. Like when I was little, I read Encyclopedia Brown, Cam Jansen, those those mysteries that they used to write for little kids. I was obsessed with taking those out from the library. And then as I got older, um, obviously, I was obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. And then once I, not even an appropriate age, I just started watching police procedurals. Um, I will say my first police procedural love is... CSI crime scene investigation, which I started probably watching at the age of 13 and learned way too much stuff. But Law and Order SVU always existed kind of in the background. It was the show I watched when we were at my camp and there was a marathon on, but I was never deeply invested until college when you and I, Paige, started watching it. I mean, I'm going to be honest, when we were hungover, we would watch hours of the USA marathons together and... Um, In college, I was kind of coming into my own as a feminist, learning more about kind of social justice issues. So I think that was a perfect time to get into SVU. That's when I started to discover rape culture, and it really um, hit home for me. It was just such a great show. We had so much fun watching it, and yeah, I will admit, I have definitely fallen off the last few years. The only thing that kept me going was um, Raul Esparza's I have to say, wonderful portrayal of um, ADA Raphael Barba, I think kept me around a little bit longer than I would have normally. Um, But I've definitely like trickled off the last few years. So I'm ready to get back into it, kind of rediscover the magic, the Bensler of it all, the in the criminal justice system of it all. So I'm excited to do it with you, my SVU bestie. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to you. What is your SVU origin story? It was, as most good 90s 
children <laughs> come come to find. Um, so my parents were huge, regular, like Law & Order, actual Law & Order fans. And it was just always on, like literally always on Jack McCoy. It's one of those, like Jack McCoy just pops up in my mind as like a figure of my childhood. Not even in like an, not even in like an annoying pretentious way. Like Jack McCoy and I have a special bond. But I just was like, this man... This man knows what's happening. I wanted to be a lawyer for a while until I learned how much schooling there was because of Jack McCoy. And then I think the first Law & Order SVU I ever saw was that very unfortunate episode. A man was kidnapping little girls, and at the very beginning, one of them fell out of a van, like, and her little hand reached up. So I saw that, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I watched the whole episode. I think she was on the TV. I don't even know what year that was. I was probably like 12 or something. I would say around 2015, I completely, well, maybe 2016, 17, I completely, after the Slender Man episode, I completely fell off. I was like, that's enough. I can't. It, it did get a little wild. And I mean, at this point, I know we fully intend to go as far as SVU is willing to go and watch all the episodes. But considering we're, we're going to be a weekly podcast, that's like years away. <laughs> That's true. I just thought about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm not too worried about it, but I think there are some gems later on. Uncut gems. Um, Uncut gems. <laughs> um, but obviously the classic years are Olivia, Elliot, Ice-T, Munch, and Cragen. And that's like the peak years. Yeah. Then we're going to get into poor Amaro and... Rollins and I will grin and bear it but I'm not as huge of a fan we were even spoiled for many years by the fact that Diane Neal fucking killed it as Casey Novak because we've been burned after Casey Novak we were burned by the DA hot iron several times I am torn between whether or not Sharon Stone actually I'm gonna say Sharon Stone was better because I'm terrified of her and if she ever comes across this I don't want her to uh, can you imagine can you imagine she, she came oh for God. us? Hi, Sharon. Um, please recross your legs and don't come for us. Yeah, you're an icon and please don't ever come for us because I, I could fight many people on the street, but not you. And I've decided that a while ago. No, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. <laughs> <laughs> so what episode are we talking about today? We are like, talking. Like, I don't know. We are talking about, actually, I have a note uh, to Peacock about this. Um, we are talking about season one, episode one, aired in 1999. I forgot the exact date. Uh, called Payback. And my bone to pick with Peacock is that they have a picture of Jeffrey Tambor standing up in court looking incredulous. So I got excited. I was like, did I forget that Jeffrey Tambor is in this first episode? Um, but no, it's it's the wrong picture. And now I'm like, when was Jeffrey Tambor in Law and for you? But I didn't want to spoil it for myself. I think it might have been one of the animal abuse episodes, so I probably oh don't remember for that. Because, like, those are the ones I never went back to. So, like, he, it might be one of those. But anyway, bone change that. Change that. It's misleading. It's wrong. Oh, absolutely. So this episode was written by Dick Wolf and directed by, and I'm about to butcher your name, um, and I'm going to butcher a lot of names today, so this is the first one. I believe it's Jean de Sagenzac. Great job. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Opening scene. We open on a rainy night, and it's the crime scene. My favorite, because I don't like how criminal intent shows you who the freaking criminal is up front. I like the guessing games. It is. It is a deluge. It is not just rainy. It is, like, torrentially downpouring. It's scary when that happens because the subways sometimes flood. And, uh, yeah, so fun fact. You've probably seen it on the internet. Yeah, it's like a subway flutter of a night. 
Um, we close in on Benson and Stabler doing like the typical thing from like every like police procedural, like, what do we have here? Yeah, what's going on? And then someone pretty much it is the exact first line of this whole thing is Brittany let me know that apparently the show was supposed to be called Law and Order colon sex crimes. So the very first line that someone shouts into the ether of this rainy night in front of a crime scene, a dead body, sex crimes. I know it's like a very like grand entrance um Benson and Stabler are looking adorable in their matching little baseball hats I was like looking around why does no one have a fucking hood nobody here is wearing no one here is sacrificing fashion for you know function apparently not especially when they walk up to the man wearing a bucket hat yes I noticed that too I wrote that down I was like is that a is that a motherfucking bucket hat so he's like, we got multiple stabbings. This this cabbie here, he's been st- I don't know why I'm giving him like a newsies voice, but he was very I don't know. He's Please like, do. Like, no, he was. Cause that's how all of these people, they're always like, he's like, what do we got here? It's like a dead body in a cat, you know, guy was stabbed multiple times. <laughs> Olivia and L are like, so why if the guy was stabbed, like, why do we care? We're sex crimes, don't you know? And the CSI guy goes, his cigar was cut off. Is that good enough for you? And I love how Benson and Stabler do their first little like look at each other like, ooh, works works for for us. (laughs) (laughs) I literally wrote BNS share a look. That is in my notes. This will happen throughout the episode. I don't think I noticed that as a child. I don't think I noticed that they were making jokes chronically. No. Well, when you watch things as a child, you take things a lot more seriously and everything just seems more serious. Just I also I probably didn't get the whole cigar. One is a cigar, not a cigar. Now as an adult, I'm like, oh, yes, of course. The cigar. Because I mean, and at the end of it, because I forget what the line that preceded that was. I think it's because there was a um, he kept his money in a cigar box. So he, they made a reference. They're like, oh, the cigar box is, is there's no cash left in it. This is this was a robbery. Oh, wait, no, their cash was left in the cigar box. So they knew it wasn't a robbery. That's what it was. I was like, wait, why didn't I bother writing? I guess I was so upset. Not really upset, but still so, so 2020 appalled that they were joking about a dead man's penis. But I forgot why. There's a lot of, there's a lot of flip behavior that I'm going to ad- address later. Um... Is the cigar missing? The cigar is gone. And you know what? They do not bring it up quite enough in the episode. <laughs> um, Paige, I don't think it's ever brought up again. Like, where is this man's peeper? I think you're right. I think they literally bring up that he was stabbed 37 times, approximately 37 times, but only once did they mention that his penis was cut off. I love how Bucket Hat's such a dick about it. Like, they're like, so why are we here? And he's like... Because his cigar has been lost. I'm like, you got to open with that. Yeah. Like start with when people show up for their job and it's a crisis situation that this clearly is. Just let them know why. Don't let them. They literally traipsed on up too. They traipsed on up like they were getting a bagel at the deli first. What do we got here? What do we got here? We're sex crimes. What's going on? We're sex. We're with the sex crimes. Sex crimes. We're only going to hear sex crimes like 20 more times this episode. So buckle in. Yeah, you can tell where they maybe reshot scenes that says special victims unit. And then other times they were like, just keep sex crimes in case people forget what the fuck we're talking about. Well, I think I read in an interview that it was called Law and Order Sex Crimes, like pretty much up until they started doing the press junket. And um, Chris Maloney and Marishka Hargaday were being interviewed 
And like a producer ran up and was like, it's, it's fucking SVU. Shh, guys, it's fucking SVU. Don't fucking call it sex crimes. Guys, shut the fuck up. Wow. So, I wonder how they got that feedback because back in 1999, that would have had to have been like, you know, carrier pigeoned over to them. It's probably on his freaking beeper. Some like producer got beeped like beep, 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 beep. And he's like, hello, Dick. And Dick's like, bitch, it is called SVU. Do not let those fuckers say sex crimes on TV. It's going to be real bad. You're probably right. He probably beepered him or aimed him. They were like, hey, you're beeper. You're not answering it. <laughs> They're on like a Blackberry. Boop, 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 boop. Hey, it's, it's SVU. <laughs> hey, don't say fucking sex crimes. <laughs> People are not okay with sex crimes. They don't like the sex crimes. They don't. <laughs> we'll rename it. So switch, switch over to the most chaotic scene I think I've ever seen. Uh, we go to the station. We're quickly introduced to our major players for the season. That's Brian Cassidy, played by Dean Winters. Captain Donald Cragen, played by Dan Florick. Monique Jeffries, played by Michelle Hurd. And... The famous John Munch, played by the wonderful Richard Beltzer. And we meet them all in succession, and they are not at their best. <laughs> They're not at their best. Richard Beltzer, at least of all. I like, because I have a huge respect for John Munch, the man, the, the real man. I don't even remember Richard Beltzer as the person anymore. Oh, he is Munch now. I think they dial down. We'll get it. There is a true Munch scene, and they're going to dial his shit down a lot. But yeah, there's... I wrote in my notes, they have a chaotic discussion about their different cases. Uh, and Elliot says that there's going to be an autopsy later. Uh, Cragen walks in and says, who's cutting? Who's cutting? Oh, yeah. Again. That, I mean, that scene was utter chaos. It was, it was clearly meant to like show that it's like a, like a hustle and bustle, like police department. But yeah, Cragen comes in. He's like, you go talk to this perp. There's a, someone molesting a dead body down in Brooklyn. Go over there. I was like, bro. So we have, there's an issue down at the morgue. And what? What's the issue down at the morgue? Someone's molesting a dead body. And then Dean Winters has the audacity to ask, can it still be a sex crime if the body is dead? Sir, I think tampering with a corpse has been on the books for longer than 1999. I don't work in a sex, crime u- sex crimes unit. And I know that's a sex crime. So if I know... Your dumbass should know. And I have a lot to say about uh, Cassidy as we move forward that I don't think he's like a really great character. No. He, he might be later when he returns, but at this time, he's very like played dumb. They do him like how they do. Uh, what's that guy's name? Canarsie. Carisi. Uh, Carisi. Yeah, they really yes. do Carisi d- dirty. He really they make him into a dumb dumb. The likes of which you do not want working um, a stressful job. Oh, yeah. No. So we meet everybody. Stabler's like, hey, I've got to go to court. We're about to move into one of my favorite scenes of the episode. But Stabler was like, I got to go talk about a flasher in court. And does he ever? Does he ever? This scene is clearly, I loved it, but it is very clunky in that it's an establishing scene. They're trying to establish what the sex crimes unit does. Stabler's a family man. They're just a lot of exposition. Is that what it's called? When you're like, yes, telling, not showing. The DA is like very rudely questioning Elliot um, and asking, he says the flasher was apparently flashing people in Elliot's neighborhood. I guess it sounds like Elliot was in his car or something or like getting or in his lawn. And these ladies ran over and were like, Elliot, some guy is like flashing us. 
the DA implies, like, oh, you, these women were known to you. And Elliot's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, in an intimate way. It's like, what the fuck kind of question is that? I feel like the, as a judge, I'd be like, are you kidding? I know. Like, he just, they're his neighbors, but he must be sleeping with them. And then he's like, so you're the Ken star of, of the police world. And I had to Google who Ken Starr was because I sure as shit did not know who that was. Patrick Starr's older brother. Yeah, it's Patrick Starr's older brother. Um, he was apparently, oh God, I should have looked this up before this recording. He worked on the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky case. And he was very sex negative. So that's, it's kind of establishing uh, the, the temperature of the time. Yes. But yeah. Oh yeah. Cause that was when Elliot said he was like, oh yeah. He goes, which I don't know why this grossed me out. I don't, I don't know why. I think I'm a prude, but Elliot was like, oh, not at all. I think sex should be one of the greatest experiences in the world. Oh should, yeah. Well. I was like, okay, white knight, shut the fuck up. And then something interesting that the defense attorney says, I didn't, I completely missed this the entire, like, whatever, 50 decades this has been on. Um, The defense attorney asks if the, and he says, sex crimes unit uh, is volunteer. And Elliot says, yes. I guess I didn't know that. So at first I'm like, volunteer, like they don't get paid. But I guess it's like, you have to literally volunteer to be on the unit. And I'm like, but they've got to, don't they move like iced tea? You know what? I don't want to get too in the weeds, but I'm like, didn't know that it was a volunteer unit. Very interesting to find out. I think they write that out later because I feel like people are moved on to the team who aren't necessarily interested in being on the team. Right. Yeah. I, so I think this is something we should put in a pin in and we're going to find out later that it's poor shit. I think they yeah. write that out. And the DA goes on to imply in the scene that basically Elliot's kind of a weirdo for wanting to be on the squad. And Elliot says that sex crimes are the most heinous, but he doesn't do it right. He doesn't say sexually based offenses are considered especially heinous. So so then would you like to tell us what Oh my God. Happened? Paige has like probably read my face that I, I love this part. Because it's so, fucking crazy. I love this. So Stabler is being questioned and he is describing the crime. Um, the um, accused name is Mr. Kloster. I had to rewind and fast forward several times to hear this. He is not credited. This actor is not credited. This thespian. But, in a startling display, Stapler insinuates that the defendant has a small peeper. He's like, yeah, he had his shortcomings on display. He's like giggling like he told a joke. <laughs> and Mr. Kloster's face, he just goes, he does not take this well. He immediately stands up, unzips his pants and wrote, shortcomings my ass, you putzhead. And he begins to, um, I know Paige isn't a huge fan of Friends, but for anyone who watches Friends, there's an episode where Chandler like does a little dance with his arms. That is what Mr. Kloster does. He pulls down his pants, shakes his peeper at the jury and just yells putt's head. And I was like, all right. Beautiful. And you know, here's the thing. Here's the insidious part about a gentleman like Mr. Kloster. What is it, Mr. Kloster? Mr. Kloister. Mr. Kloster. Mr. Kloster. He really didn't look like your run-of-the-mill New York City flasher, IMO. Now, I wasn't here in 1999. Maybe they're a little bit more clean-cut, but that's not usually what they look like. He was very insidious in his intentions because those ladies probably thought he was just some normal guy feeding. Though I will say, they did mention that he, would, Mr. Kloster, was feeding the pigeons first. Um, well-dressed gentlemen with crew cuts don't feed pigeons. Let me tell yeah, you. that sounds fucking weird. I'd be like, oh, what are you up to, creep? 
New scene. We're back at the station. Olivia and Elliot are in Cragen's office, and Cragen's like, okay, what happened in court? Uh, and Elliot says that the flasher was found guilty because he <laughs> oh, waved his flag and nobody saluted. I was like... I hate these people. <laughs> now, I actually took issue with what Stabler says next. He said the guy went to Bellevue, which I'm pretty sure Bellevue is a, a mental hospital. It is. But I was looking um, up at the time. Being sent to Bellevue is also kind of a shorthand way of saying someone went to basically... Um, like, bas- like basically saying that they like went to like a mental hospital or they went crazy. And I was like, I don't like that they're insinuating that someone who pulls out his peeper in a court has a mental illness. This man does not have a mental illness. He's he's a fucking sexual offender. That's what he is. I agree. It's like somebody who is sexually deviant. That to me doesn't read mental illness. Somebody who is... <laughs> Non, what is it? Non neurotypical, neuroatypical, neurodivergent, neurodivergence as a neurodivergent person myself. Yeah, I don't want to be looped in with someone who does stupid shit like that. No, he belongs in jail, not a mental hospital. So, agree. I took issue with that, and that's not the only thing that Elliot's going to say this episode that I take issue with. But. Mm. Uh, so Benson says she calls the hack unit, which I thought originally was referring to like police officers who are detectives and I like giggled I was like oh hack unit but apparently that's what they call cab companies so she called the cab company and she finds out that the victim the dead guy's name is Victor Spicer but twist that Victor Spicer has been in jail for 11 months on assault charges meanwhile Cragen is like trying to hand them red vines they're trying to do police work and he is like do you guys want some candy i want to remind you that although we don't know who this man is yet we he's still a dead man and um pretty much no one has treated him with any respect yet no that's gonna be kind of a uh it's gonna be a running theme but um yeah they've they've got his hack license i kept calling it a taxi license but i guess it's called a hack license also what happens in the middle of this is that craigan's eating a twizzler and he says a red vine please. a red vine excuse me mouthful of red vine he's like why is this for you involved elliot goes oh because his twizzler was cut off and then craigan spits out his twizzler so this is a very peep heavy episode i've noticed they use so many euphemisms for the penis there's at this point they've already said cigar shortcomings and flag yeah and we i think he called him a weenie the the flasher a weenie wagger earlier i wrote that down yeah we are barely 10 minutes in. <laughs> so while they're examining Victor Spicer's ID, Olivia is listing off his offenses. And most of it's like prostitution. But an interesting fact is that he managed to get two of his own clients arrested and himself arrested all at the same time. And both of the clients were married. So they're confused because the ID says Victor Spicer. But that Victor Spicer is in jail, apparently. But there's also a dead guy in a cab with 37 stab wounds and his Twizzler cut off, who's also named Victor Spicer. Cragen whips out the world's most gigantic magnifying glass to peer at this hack license, which looks like something I made in elementary school. It's literally like to like a laminated piece of paper. And he's like, looks uneven. And he gives them this look, takes out a knife, just pops off the picture and there's another picture of a gentleman underneath the picture of the dead guy. Benson and Stabler understandably look embarrassed. It's so embarrassed. I felt I found the tone shift a little interesting because I thought like they were having kind of a jovial discussion. 
about this murder, which is kind of awful to say. But all of a sudden, Cragen's like, do some real police work. And I was like, what? what? I I agree. But everyone was having a good time. Yeah. Making jokes about people's flags. And now you're like, get out of here. I guess he didn't like that they were giggling at his magnet. There's definitely some magnifying glass trauma in Cragen's Ma- Ra- background. Because you're right. The tone shifted friggin' toot sweet. They got all mad. Yeah. So then we head over to Rikers where we meet the the real Victor Spicer, not wearing not dead, wearing some light eye makeup. Um, and Victor Spicer's a little cute. I'm gonna get that off oh, my he's chest. Cute. He's actually the least offensive person in this whole episode, I think. So I actually kind of feel defensive about him later because people are not kind about um, him. Um, they're downright phobic. Yeah, it's we will get to that. But he comes in hot. He is like swaggering in. He's like Oh, you guys want to talk to me? And they say to him kind of right off their bat, their bat. <laughs> they kind of say to him right off the bat. They're like, who would want you dead, Victor? And of course, he replies, <laughs> take a number. I know. And I was like, so what I know about you is you are a cab driver, cum sex worker. Why do you have so many enemies? You do the jobs people want. You drive them around and you have sex with them. Why is everyone so mad at you? They really were treating him like like he had done something wrong. And so far, all he did wrong as far as 1999 standards was be a male prostitute. I mean, it is kind of funny that he got <laughs> that he got two of his own Johns arrested. <laughs> but they were married Johns. So, you know, look at me. I'm like, yeah, you're cheating on your wife, wasting people's fucking time. So yeah. I don't care that you got arrested. But Elliot oh. has a problem with it, clearly. He's got a tone. Spicer explains that he sold his license to the dead Victor Spicer. He met the dead Victor Spicer on a corner somewhere and the dead Victor Spicer bought his cabbie license and he also had his child with him. This was set up by quote from the alive Victor Spicer, a foreign gentleman that the alive Victor Spicer knows from a cabbie diner on 43rd and 11th. Before they leave, Spicer hits on Stabler and says like, what are you doing later? And Stabler says he wins my heart back by looking at Victor Spicer like raising his eyes and going, oh, I'd hurt you. And did my loins ever light up in flames? Uh, he's gorgeous. I want you to oh. hurt me, Elliot Stabler. Hurt me. Oh, he's so beautiful. Just beautiful. And yes, Victor Spicer can't help himself. He's the first of many to hit on Elliot Stabler. And he, yeah, I don't blame him. He was probably the least disturbing person to hit on Elliot Stabler, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. Uh, justice for Victor Spicer. Yeah, justice for Victor Spicer. People really do give him the business in this episode. <laughs> and he's not oh, even the yeah. worst fucking person. Anyway, moving on. New scene. We go to the diner. This might be my favorite scene because the the fucking diner lady is so is so law and order character. Well, typically they talk about this trope as being like the bartender. It's the bartender that has too much time. Like they're they're like cleaning their glasses. They're putting stuff away. They don't have time to talk to the cop. No, the trendsetter in this show is the diner waitress. She does not have time. She has no time at all. She's literally the busiest lady in New York City, Peggy the waitress. So on the way into the diner, uh, B&S, as I like to call them, Benson and Stabler. Oh, that's, what they're, that's what they're in my notes. They, they alternate between B&S and E&O and sometimes L and Liv. <laughs> just, just however I was feeling close to them in the moment. But they're wondering... Is it a case of mistaken identity? Was somebody going after a live Victor Spicer? And at this point in the episode, it's personally a no for me. It's just because 
I don't know. It just I just feel like if you've dealt with Victor Spicer, you know what Victor Spicer looks like. And he just seemed like a lot shorter than the dead guy. So also based on that evidence, if anyone was asking me and no one did, it wasn't a case <laughs> of mistaken <Umbrella>. identity. <laughs> I'm following behind them. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> just doesn't make sense, you guys. It doesn't make sense. So they go inside and they find, again, the busiest lady alive, Peggy the waitress. She is yelling at the cook. She's slamming plates. She she's busy. she gives an order that was so concerning for me. It was it was something a BLT face down with hash hash with eyes and burn it. BLT face down. What? Yeah, actually, now that you're saying that back to me, that I. What is that as a sandwich? I you know I didn't even bother looking it up because again, much like the twenty one hundred twenty fifth Street L, doesn't exist. Not a thing. No, I've eaten many BLTs, never face down. Never face. I think Peggy might have been drinking on the job and they just left it out of the script. So they ask her, they're like, do you recognize this gentleman? And it's live Victor Spicer. And she goes, yeah, I know him, but he hasn't been in in a while. And they're like, what's his name? And she goes, Victor. Then they show him dead Victor Spicer at her. (laughs) And they go, do you know her? Do you know him? And she goes, yeah, I know him. He was here last night. And they're like, what's his name? And she's like, that's weird. Victor. So we learn just from that stupid interaction. <laughs> but she said that she comes in a lot. Dead Victor Spicer comes in all the time. And I, my immediate reaction was probably a fucking cheating ass, dumb cheater a trifling man. trifling ass man. Trifling ass, cheating ass, hash brown, BLT face down eating man. And that's all she's got. She's, she's back to like screaming at the cook. She's like, I said on rye. And I'm like, you just spoke to him two seconds ago. And she's already like screaming, where's my sandwich? I'm like, it's been five seconds. What is going on? So they leave having learned nothing from this broad. And a guy runs out after them and goes, he goes, hey, wait, wait, wait. You know, Peggy just told me that Victor died. And they're like, yeah, could you tell us which Victor? And they hold up the two pictures. To a live Victor, the male prostitute, they go, no one cares about him. Of next Victor, he goes, yes, this one. And they're like, do you know his real name? And he says, Steven. So do you think that this was the guy that Victor Spicer, that he was, that this was the foreign gentleman that Victor Spicer references having set him up with the fake ID or set, set dead Victor Spicer up with the fake ID? Because I'm like, Pop- I mean, that's possible because he does know his real name. Yeah, he knows his real name, and it sounds like Peggy didn't. And also, I like how Peggy just ran over to this guy and was like, Victor's dead. I know. He was like, well, actually, I don't know if she told him. If you watch him in the background, he's listening. Okay. So I think he's listening to their conversation, and once he realizes that Peggy doesn't have a brain cell in her head, he's like, I got to go. Yeah. I got to go update them. Give them the 411. Yeah. I got a tea for you, too. T for two, if you will. It's like, here's the T. Here's the T. His real name is Steven, and he's got a son. Which everyone, this is important because every fucking person is like, oh, he's got a son. Oh, the guy with the son. Yes, the man with the son. The man who was the son. Yeah, the son is actually a pretty titular character. We don't hear much from him, but it's an important, important. Remember, he has a son. It's brought up a lot. And his wife. We're going to meet him soon. His wife is also pregnant. So added sadness that she had a baby on the way. Someone killed this guy. So we're very sad. Oh, shit. I totally missed that. Mrs. Panacek is, uh, his name's Stephen. Pa- I believe he said his full name, which is Stephen Panacek. Okay. So important note, leaving this scene is they said, basically, did you notice anything out of the ordinary last night uh, at the diner at midnight? And he says, nothing out of the ordinary. And that when he was leaving, two women hailed Stephen for a cab and then he got in the the ladies got in the cab and Stephen drove off and they say did you see 
what those two ladies look like, whatever. And he says, no. And that was it. So that's, my, that's all we know. We go new scene. We're back at the station. And Munch, <laughs> Munch strolls in yelling. And he says to the team that the cab company, they got a call last week. And it was somebody asking about Victor Spicer's employment there. Did he work there when, you know, all these questions about Victor Spicer. And that the person on the phone, they had no clue if it was a guy or a girl. What? Yeah. Um, I feel bad because for this scene, I wrote, everyone eats Krispy Kreme. <laughs> That's my big takeaway. I wrote donut thing. Why? Because mid-sentence, Cragen looks at Munch, just goes, aren't these good? <laughs> what? It's a very throwaway scene. And now that you mentioned it, I think the only thing it, it, it is to establish is that they have found where Stephen Panacek lives and that Elliot and Olivia can now go interview him. So... Olivia is kind of outraged that there doesn't seem to be anything known about, you know, again, typical police work. They're like, someone called, but we don't know who it is. And she thinks that it was a mistake case of mistaken identity. Somebody meant to kill the real Victor Spicer. And she says, this poor guy was murdered because someone thought he was some disco queen in Rikers. Disco queen. Yes. Disco queen. All because the man wears eyeliner. You don't know if he does drag. You don't even know if he frequents discos. He's not even doing it right now because he's stuck in freaking Rikers. Yeah. So for you to... Olivia, so Cragen muses that whether or not if dead Victor, did he maybe just get the really bad luck of buying a hack license for someone who someone wanted dead? Or would there be somebody who actually wanted this this dead guy, Steven, dead? Munch guesses, hey, whoever called the cab company, you fucking duh. They all scream at him. And so Cragen gets a call, like literally as they're sitting there, that a normal cop found out, I don't know how. But he found out that the dead guy's name is Steven Panacek. And so Elliot and Olivia go out to see about that. And there's another joke about the donuts on the way out. Now, I'm going to note here, because this is going to come up again. Up until a later scene, it strikes me how everyone is so fucking mean to Munch. Like, yeah. everyone is very short with him. We will later find out why. But mm. at this point in the episode, my first, I was like, why is everyone so, like, short with this dude? Like, what is going on? We will find out later. We switched scenes and we're now in, uh, well, we're outside of Steven Panacek's apartment and they're just about to go in. They're kind of doing that thing where they're like, oh, I wonder where the wife is. And the wife walks up the street holding little boy. The aforementioned son. And she's like, oh, what, what, what's going on here? What's happening? What's going on? Who are you people? You're wearing trench coats. So you must be the police. Yes. She comes in hot. She's like. Is it Steven? Did something happen to Steven? Is he in the hospital? Which, like, which hospital is he in? Slow down, lady. He's dead. So they kind of give her like a look, like a, Oof, oh, yeah. Uh, and she knows what's up. And she, God love her, immediately looks to the sky and starts screaming, why? Steven! It is terrible. Why? Why, Steven? Holding her son. The kid. The kid's just a child actor, so he's giggling away. He's like, <laughs> I actually love that kid actor. He's very jovial. He is. all of his scenes. He's just got like a little smile on his face. He's like, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm he, SPU. He's just happy to be here. Steven's widow is crying with no tears. So they move her inside the apartment. Um, Elliot is reading to her son as the actor. They try to get him to like not pick his nose, but that kid is totally trying to pick his nose. He's just like. Oh, yeah. He is just having a grand old time. And then Olivia is in the kitchen speaking with the widow. And the widow's a little defensive. Olivia's like, was he here illegally? And she's like, 
I don't know why that matters. Uh, well, okay, not for reasons that, okay, in this context, lady, it matters, all right? It matters because we need to know who, what happened. I know, normally I would say, why does that matter? But, and guess what? It does matter. It does. And so we Bitch. find that they were married five years ago. And again, that's important just in terms of timeline. They were married five years ago. For some reason, he never applied for a residency. And they're like, why? And she says it's because an immigration lawyer told Stephen that if he applied for residency, they would deport him, I guess, because he came over here without a visa. And of course, I was like, what the fuck? Really? You know? <laughs> like, And then we find out some stuff later. Yeah. So yeah, at this point, um, I don't like Steph- Stephen's wife, Stephen's wife. Just watching her, this whole scene, she starts to break down again. The sun just runs over to her. And I think they're trying to make him look sad. But if you close in on his face, he's just oh, he's still yeah. smiling away. He, he is cheesing the entire. He's got, he's he just like. such a great time. Oh, maybe they play, maybe they gave him a little baby Benadryl because he was having a ball filming this episode. So we pop back to the station once more again for more, for more really, really amazing. Exposition, really. Really amazing banter. Uh, Ellie, Ellie, Ellie gets it off the phone with the medical examiner, the ME, and confirms that Stephen was stabbed 37 times, a whopping 37 times. Elliot says, this still reads gay to me. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? I mean, I'm no Elliot Stabler, but I've read about many crime scenes and I've never heard of a gay crime scene. Shut the fuck up, Elliot. We digress. We digress for the, for, we digress for justice. For justice for Victor Spicer and all. Craig asks that a set of Stephen's fingerprints are sent to Interpol. So Elliot flags that CSI found part of a fingernail in the cab with red nail polish. And at first I'm like, oh, probably a fake nail, but I guess it's not. Ew. I know. because then That's gross. So upon learning about the fingernail, Craig turns to Elliot and says, kind of undercuts your gay theory. And Elliot responds, could be a he-she. Wow. Okay, that was my other Elliot. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Bugaboo. No, 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 no. I, when I mentioned earlier that Elliot also said something offensive, this is the one that stuck out to me. Just Not wow. Cool. Just wow. But anyway, so this is what leads them to believe that perhaps that fingernail belongs to a wife of one of the men that our dear friend Victor Spicer had illegal interactions with. So they send out, so for the first time, we get to go see Munch and Cassidy out in the field. They are sent out to go speak to one of these gentlemen. I don't think I'd be mad at Victor Spicer. I'd be like, he was doing no. his, he was doing his job. Like, yeah, are you going to, I was going to cut my husband's penis off. Not Victor Spicer. He's, he's a gentle soul. So they go down to the Dupree Investment Group at 72 Cedar Street, which at first I was trying to be, I was trying to catch him in another lie. Uh, but that does exist. I just couldn't find it at first. So Munch and Cassidy show up to harass this poor man's Jason Alexander. So they ask him, they're basically, they're like, where was your wife last night? And the guy gets defensive. And I will say in this man's defense, John Munch looks shovable. I mean, he's a wicked asshole this whole episode. So he shoves John Munch and Cassidy grabs him, shoves him up against the car. We get some light police brutality. And and also some just police shenanigans because he like gives this man's bald head a little rub right before. <laughs> gives him a little I little know. tussle, little t- little tousle of the hair. This poor fucking guy. And they're like, where was your wife? And he's like, she's in a wheelchair. Why do you think like, I was in the back seat of a car with a prostitute? And they're like, oh. 
I mean, they don't regret any of the brutality, but they they move along pretty quickly after, they do. after this. So then this is a scene that you and I were very excited for, and I think we both know why. Uh, I sent scene. Paige a screenshot. We enter an art gallery, and it is just a um, mm. it's a show on lips. It's it's really upsetting. It's just pictures of close-ups of women's lips. And ugh. they strongly resemble uh, buttholes. Oh, yeah, it's it's not cute. It honestly reminds me of the um, installations Charlotte used to get in Sex in the City when she'd have just like some really weird fucking art and the girls would have to go and like drink wine and talk about like all the painted vaginas. Exactly. It was very it was very reminiscent of that. But no, it's it's lips in various puckers stages. I hated it. I hated it all. The gallery owner is a gentleman, and he was the other John that Victor Spicer was with that got arrested. Uh, but he seems to be like he doesn't really give a shit. The other guy was, I forgot, we forgot to mention, the other guy was pretty hostile about Victor Spicer. He's like, that animal, I never go near him again. This guy's like, Victor's annoying, but he's got a very talented orifice in the front of his face. Oh, hold up. Wow. No, he calls him, he calls him a, a like, Oh, God, like a sweet piece of street meat or something like that. Yes, he does. But he's got the most wonderful orifice in the center of his face. I was like, bro. Sir. Sir. Dude. I mean, it, it, I really wish that they had switched people. Like, it would have been great if Munch and Cassidy had to hear that, because I think it would have sent them to the floor. They would have been, like, mouths agape. But They would have been uh, clutching their pearls. And But I was like, you solicited this sex worker. How dare you besmirch the name of Victor Spicer? So he's all like, "Mm, I don't care. And they're like, well, would your wife care? And he's like, hell no. She knows I'm gay. I know she's a lesbian. We're cool. Yeah, his wife, Clarissa. They go, where was your wife last night? And he's like, we were at dinner with four dear friends. And then he writes her name down on the back of an intern. Like he calls over a little intern. A little intern walks over. Kind of gives Elliot and Olivia like a weird look. He is chewing up the scenery. This little assistant was like, Ooh, this is my time to shine. I am the art gallery's assistant. I'm clearly implied to be maybe a lover on the side. Uh, sure. I was going to say, they gave each other a little bit of a knowing look, kind of like, ugh. <laughs> like, can't wait to go and bang this out in the coat closet later. Which begs the question why he was soliciting a sex worker. But I don't know. Apparently, Victor Spicer's known for giving a good beach, so. He seemed to know Victor kind of like, he was like, the way he came for him, he was calling him a little street urchin. I was like, ooh, you guys have like, you might have dated. You know what I mean? Like before. I want the Victor Spicer spinoff. I want the Victor Spicer story. There is more here. There is more here. And we didn't get enough Victor Spicer. Oh, I loved him. I thought he was great. And I spent the rest of the episode hearing him besmirched by all of his Johns. Um, and then just a parting note on this scene. I think I was kind of dumb that he even bothered mentioning his wife's name. Could have just written it down because we never do get to meet the really cool sounding Clarissa. I was excited to meet her and we didn't get to meet her at all. So fuck that. Thanks for thanks for thanks for throwing out the name Clarissa and then giving me no one to work with. Well, I think this is because um, we are going to move back to the precinct and we are about to hop off the Victor Spicer train. We move back to this precinct and now we finally learn why everyone's such an asshole to munch. It is because he is just intolerable he is on a full-blown rant about the jfk assassination which honestly i didn't even listen to as soon as he started talking about bodies falling from the plane my brain tuned out apparently this is a true thing so it wasn't jfk's body but for some reason the kennedys and 
the Onassis eyes, they decided to d uh, drop the coffin that he was transported in, quote unquote, back home. I'm like in Ireland. I don't even know. Um, they decided to drop the empty coffin in the ocean. And I didn't read too much. I read that just to make sure it was true because I was like, what? Um, and then I was like, did they really just dump JFK in the fucking ocean? But no, they dumped just the coffin. But I guess what Munch is trying to say is that the body is probably in there too. And that they waited 33 years. So I guess none of us will know. But it's just like. It was it was a lot. And my favorite part. This is some some of the acting I do like. Cassidy is just so like. He's just like eating his like Chinese food. Just looking like, okay, bro whatever and then monique jeffries they do monique so fucking dirty with her storylines and her dialogue well this dialogue right here just awful it comes <laughs> out of nowhere i'll let you say the line but i was just like wait what uh so monique comes in and goes mind if i have a little bit of this you know the food and so cassidy goes no go ahead john doesn't eat vegetables and monique she leans over and she goes oh really from what I hear, that's not the only thing John doesn't get to eat lately. And she says it like that. She says, eat. Now, I know I don't work as a police officer, but it strikes me as... You don't talk about your, your co-worker's cunnilingus life at work. No! At a police what? station what? for sex crimes. Where is the HR for sex I crimes? Know. Listen, I am not like some big like munch defender, but I'm just like, what the fuck? Just, <laughs> it was just a lot. I don't know. It was, I was like cr cringe, as the kids say, as the Gen Z's shout, cringe, into the night, cringe, this whole thing. I think the issue is it comes kind of out of nowhere. Like they're all like razzing each other, just kind of back and forth. Like, oh, you're really annoying, munch. Oh, well, you don't know that you're a sheep. And she's like... You never get to go down on women. And it's like, a what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that like person that like takes it too far where you're like, yeah, it's, so true. it's like, oh, well, you're a jerk. Yeah, well, you're you're a bad person. Your mom died. It's like, what? <laughs> this is something we'll have to track if she is just like an epic escalator. Like if people are like Mon Monique and she's just like, fuck you. She kind of is an epic escalator, and we will get to that. Not in this episode, because it's literally not in this episode. She escalates, saunters out, smirking like she just gave a sick burn. And meanwhile, I mean, they, they, they're not bothered. But meanwhile, I'm clutching my pearls. It, it was a sick burn. Like, I will say, I'm going to give her that it was a sick burn, but it was like, it was like the time I made a menstrual joke in front of my coworkers, and like everyone got upset. And at first I was like, oh my God, I can't believe like, People are so anti-woman. And then I was like, you know what? No, I was, I was in the wrong. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That was inappropriate. It was inappropriate. And at the end of the day, I made it at lunch. And uh, yeah, it was, it was on me. Actually, it was kind of just like the scene. It was over lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need this levity because now we are about to learn some facts. So Stabler walks on and strolls in with exactly one fingerprint from Panacek. And he hands it to Cragen. And the results suggest that there could be a different motive. Cragen looks at the results and he gets this look on his face uh, and voices his concern whether or not Olivia will be able to handle this information. And he says, you know, just remind your partner that we can't pick the Vic. And so dead ass, my first reaction was, why? Why would Olivia give a shit? It's a man, something, a man did something wrong. Like, oh, and then I remember, and then I remembered. And then you're gonna, you're gonna hear more about it. Elliot goes, it's not gonna be a problem. 
and Craig goes, can't be a problem if she wants to be in this unit. Is this a trial period for her? If she doesn't woman the fuck out and freak out about something, she can be on the spectral vision unit, which is a voluntary position. I know. It doesn't sound like people are lining up to do this job, Cragen. So why don't you shut up and let her deal? Now, does she take this badly? Yes. Munch gets a little butt hurt while they're whispering about Olivia potentially being a big old baby about these results. Uh, and he goes, am I, am I missing something here, gentlemen? And they literally just go, shut up, Munch. <laughs> Now, at this point, we understand why they're being so mean to Munch, because he is super annoying. Then we switch frames, and we're still in the still in the station. Stabler walks over to Liv and says that Stephen Panacek's real name is really <laughs> Stefan Tanzik. So, really, really good job fixing the name there, Stefan. Yeah, he didn't. He was not creative in making a name, but uh, he is a war criminal. Now, this is weird. That has raped. I'm not saying that this is itself weird. That raped. I have. Written down over 67 women. Why are we having 37 stab wounds, 67 victims? Yeah, wait, you're right. There's a couple of things like that. There's a couple of... Might just be lazy writing. Stefan, Steven. But he's not really Czech. He is a... He was a... Was, because he is dead without a penis. This I needed to do some some research on. The Siege of Saravejo. Uh, and it happened from April 5th, 1992 to February 29th, 1996. So it lasted exactly 1,425 days. The siege was prolonged, a prolonged blockade of Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia. And, um, oh gosh, oh, ignorance, Herzegovina. Um, I'm sorry, I probably butchered that. And this happened during the Bosnian War and the Bosnian Genocide. Steven Tanzik is... A Serbian war criminal, he was appointed an officer by the Bosnian Serbs who tried to take over Sarajevo. As we all know, um, war crimes often include sexual assault. It's probably well documented at the time how bad it was because Olivia immediately has this like awful reaction to it. Yeah, she, she knows. And yeah, she is pretty upset. Yeah, pretty not pleased. So we switch to the medical examiner's office. We don't have our beautiful and beloved Melinda Warner yet. Sad about that. It was that sassy lady. I think they used this sassy gal in the original Law and Order a couple times. She seemed a little familiar. I'm thinking she may be with us for the rest of the season until we get Tamara Tooney, but we're with her for now. And she tells us that there are two different stab wounds on the body and they're Basically, Olivia's like, oh, well, could it be they just stabbed differently? And they're like, no, bitch, it was a whole ass new knife because one has a serrated edge. Olivia's put in her place. And she go, and the lady goes, hate to break it to you, but I think you have multiple killers. To which I say, fucking duh. Did anyone listen to the cab guy at the diner? He right. said, I saw Victor get into a cab with two ladies. And then a lady probably called the cab company. So when... When the medical examiner said that, I was kind of like, no shit. Yeah, no Not shit, Not Melinda Warner. Duh. But, but it, I guess she wasn't there. So I, I'm saying no shit to, <laughs> to Olivia and Stabler because they look at each other kind of like, is that possible? Uh, yeah, they're like, oh my God, it, maybe there are two. So I believe it's at this point when they think, okay, well, let's they go and find victims of this genocide who still live in New York. Which I was like, is this a thing? Well, yeah, no, actually, my, my question was, so they found out, I don't know how they got this information, because Olivia did ask back in that whole thing where they were like, you need to calm down about this. She said, how many victims? So there were 60 uh, f- of Stephen Tanzik, 
Apparently he had 67 victims and that there were only 15 survivors, which is gross. And that five of them live in New York City. To which I say, which list is this? I know. That seems uh, pretty convenient that they all moved to New York City. Maybe that was a common thing for... Um, I, I was going to say, I think that's a common thing refugees? kind of... For refugees and also um, people who immigrate. Well, there are only 15 survivors of this guy, Stephen Tantic. I guess it would kind of make sense that they would want to move somewhere kind of central to them. But also for the purposes of this of this episode. episode so they're like time to go interview all these victims which i'm like i'd just be i'd be kind of like oh too bad he's dead oops just before that they go to fucking scream at steven steven danzig's wife which i loved so they go <laughs> yes. back to steven danzig's um apartment and they come in and olivia comes in and she's <laughs> yelling at Stephen Danzig's wife. She's like, you lied to me. Just literally out the gate says, you lied to me. And I'm pretty sure before they go in, Stabler's like, you're going to be able to hold your shit together, right? And Olivia's like, totally. And they walk in hot. She's like, you lied to me. Olivia's like, he murdered, he raped and murdered 67 people. And then Stephen Tanzig's wife responds, it's politics? It was yeah. politics? She's like, She's like, no, no, he explained it to me. It was just politics. I'm like. Yeah, like, did you do any? It sounds like, again, I just want to reiterate, uh, Olivia didn't even, we didn't even know what the siege of Sarabejo was, but Olivia knew, and she got pissed. She knew, that's how big news that probably was at the time, that they were worried about telling her that he was a Serbian war criminal before they even got into what part. Oh, yeah. Because she yells, he wasn't a Czech, he was a Serb. And I was like, that would have meant nothing to me. I would have been like, oh, huh. Yeah, so the way she's acting, she's kind of like, oh, it was just politics. Like, lady. So they head outside. <laughs> Stephen Tanzik's wife gives another uh, guttural cry and starts screaming. Get out! Get out! Uh, absolutely. Her best work is done screeching. So they get outside and Stabler shames Olivia for being reckless and emotional, to which I say, excuse me, what the fuck ever? You get in trouble every season following this for just being a hothead as like a, a fandom going over a decade this is fucking hilarious to me when he's like wow Liv you really got emotionally attached I'm like bitch you are gonna be doing some things um what's the word for that guy that comes like every episode to be like Stabler what have you been up to oh, internal yeah. affairs internal every, affairs the hot guy from internal affairs like every episode is like hi Elliot what fresh hell have you done today i love internal affairs guy he does come in and just kind of like groan at elliot a lot he's always like elliot and he's always like the bad guy which it's so fucked up like in our minds we're like how dare this guy come in here and yell at elliot for beating the shit out of a pedophile and meanwhile it's like look sis he was beating a suspect you can't do that we go to interview the first victim she they're escorted to see this woman in this garden she turns and immediately did you see the part where like Stabler lifts up his badge and Olivia slowly puts his hand down because this victim has been blinded. It looks like acid has been thrown into her face. Yes. So she's been, it would appear, um, tortured and she's blind because of it. Um, and so they kind of know immediately that it probably wasn't, wasn't her who did this. Uh, and as soon as they mention Steven Tanzik's name, she has an anxiety attack and starts to cry. And then I did too. So Olivia, they go outside. And Olivia throws up because of what she's just fucking seen, which, which is horrific. I was like, Olivia, this is like broad daylight. Like, 
you just like puked on someone's like, and there's no like lawn to puke on. You just like puked on someone's sidewalk. So Stapler's like, there's no crying in baseball. And I was like, rude. I think we can have like a little bit of sympathy for Olivia here. A little bit of crying in baseball. Because that girl also, I don't know how old she was, in, you know, in the context of the show, but she didn't look like she was that old. She looked like she was no. maybe 25 max. And like, so this happened between, again, 92 and 96. So 99 or so. Yeah, she was probably really young when this happened to her. And again, just saying, <laughs> let, let a flack towards Olivia for having a heart, so for she, being sympathetic. She's like wiping her mouth. She's like, <laughs> she's like, shut up, Stabler. The next victim, like this woman couldn't have done it. Next victim is blah, blah, blah. Marta. So my uh, note here is, who's this dweeb? It's Marta's husband. He's a very nice man. I just made some some uh, snap judgments based on his looks. So a little bit of repetitiveness here. One, this Marta's husband looks a lot like the poor man's Jason Alexander, who was sleeping with Victor Spicer. And two, apparently Marta's name is Marta Stevens. Why? Why the fuck are we naming her Marta Stevens when... We have Stephen, Stefan, I know it's Stefan Panacek, but still it's like he was Stephen, no, so first he was Stephen Panacek and now he's Stefan Tanzik and then this lady, they name her Marta Stevens, what the fuck? There was just like one guy like named Stephen in the writer's room that day, he's like, what about Stephen, Stevens? And they're like, fine Steve, shut up. It's too late to change it, everyone already knows the lines, but I thought that was annoying. And Marta is apparently at work, uh, once again, Marta's husband is, seems more annoyed than curious as to why the cops are there. And so then at that moment, uh, while he's giving them the whole, what's this about officer's treatment? A little boy runs in and it is the exact same. It's my child actor friend. Yay. The nose picker's back. The the little boy runs in and he runs up to Marta's husband and um, it's the exact same. So we're supposed to believe, wow, it's like almost identical to I think they Steven combed Tanzik's his hair like son. slightly different and gave him different clothes, but it's right. It is. Uh, it's the same actor playing Stephen Panacek's son with his annoying fucking dramatic wife. Um, and so Olivia and Elliot do that face where they're just like you know mouth open like duh, and <laughs> so they send um, the little boy leaves the room. The father goes and quote, "Why don't you go change your clothes?" And the <laughs> Which is another, like, <laughs> random sick burn. <laughs> like, okay. Like, the kid's like, first, he, the kid runs in and goes, can I stop now? And the, the, the dad just looks at him and goes, why don't you go change your clothes? <laughs> why don't you get out of those disgusting clothes? What was he doing? And did it constitute changing his clothes? The whole scene. I feel like he was in, like, a little white button-up shirt or something. He looked very neat. He was neat and tidy. He did. And he looked a little more well-spoken than Stephen Tanzik's other son. His nose-picking son. Sorry, not to give away the details, but I think if you're watching the episode, you know that it's supposed to be that. It's immediately apparently. implied that Stefan Tanzik raped Marta and this is the, her, and she had a child through Stephen Tanzik. And they ask him, they ask um, Mr. Stevens, Marta's husband, how long they've been married. And the husband tells them that it's only been a year and that he is... The, ba- the the kid's adopted father and that Marta's first husband, quote, died. And, and he did. <laughs> he did. That wasn't a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not the way that this guy thinks, but yeah, he is dead. So, I mean, so I was questioning why um, 
the son with Marta would be the same age as his son with Mrs. Panacek because the timeline shouldn't add up for that. But I think I'm not supposed to think too deeply about that. They did say Panacek's wife said, well, Mrs. Panacek said that they had been married for five years. So so he just like raped and then immediately was like, I'm going to get on this plane to America and impregnate this American broad. Yeah, it sounds like he might have been, maybe he, well, I'm sure he wanted his whatever, but like maybe he was trying to have leverage by having a child here. Maybe that was the whole point that he got here immediately. And But again, they didn't really give us enough detail. This is one of those episodes that could have been a two-parter just based on like how the fuck Steven Tanzik got here. But they didn't explain like how he met his wife because you're right, like Sarah Vejo, she would have had to be... Marta would have had to have gotten pregnant kind of right as Sarabejo ended, so ostensibly in February 1996, for these kids to be the exact same age to the point where they're using the literal same actor. Oh, yeah. So Olivia and Elliot go outside, and they state the obvious, and that is Stephen Tanzik is definitely the father of Marta Stevens, his victim's child. So Stabler is like, so she probably did it. And Olivia's like, we don't know that. And he's like, please don't go talk to her by yourself, okay? And she's like... Gotcha. I'm going to go take a walk. <laughs> Not going to do that. And then St- Stabler goes off to have a student teacher or a parent teacher conference about his dumb kids. So when I go on record, Brittany and I um, famously hate the Stabler family. Oh, just the whole family. Kathy, Maureen, Kathleen, the twins. Dickie and the and unknown the twin. Hate you all. I hate. I liked his mother because I like Ellen Burson because she's a queen. But every, and everyone else can get in that family. <laughs> <laughs> They're dumb kids. They write their letters backwards. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So Olivia calls and right as right before she walks off, she gets she calls someone again. And someone whoever has the list of who of all these horrible victim like these sad victims probably gave her this address too. And we end up at Dun Dun Marta Stevens work. So I thought this was highly inappropriate. Like Olivia takes Marta aside at her place of business and she's like, can we go somewhere more private? They take like two steps away from Marta's desk. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) They go like up a set of stairs. Marta immediately is like, they're like, do you know Stefan Tanzik? And he's like, she's like, yeah, I do. And she, she asked her to see her hands first because they, they, they kind of, we kind of forgot about the thing. So she goes, can I see your hands? And so Marta shows her her hands front to back, but they are, first of all, her nails look immaculate, which is kind of the point. Beautiful 90s French tips, but they are, her hands are shaking. So she's nervous. And again, unlike all the rest of these assholes they've been interviewing this whole time, who are cocky and like, what are you doing here? Cops, get out of my diner. Marta's looking a little nerved up. So her hands are fine, but they are shaking. They are shaking. She doesn't know why Olivia's here, even though her hands are shaking. So Olivia slowly gets it out of her that indeed Marta did know Stefan Tanzik. He's actually from her village. I'm not going to get into like the nitty gritty details of what he did to her. She kind of like flat out, Olivia just kind of goes like savagely goes, Stephen Tanzik's the father of your son. Oh, yeah. She's like pretty. She's like Mr. Stevens. That's what she calls her husband. She doesn't use his first name. Just <laughs> Mr. Stevens is the father of my son. And Olivia's like, I'm sure he's a good father, but. Olivia asks Marta, where were you on Tuesday night? And Marta says, my office. How late? One o'clock in the morning. Was anyone else with you? Nope. I was the last to leave. Why are you asking me, Detective Benson? Olivia tells her, because Stefan Tancic was murdered. So Marta reacts kind of like, oh, oh, that sucks. And Olivia goes, yeah, you don't seem too broken up about it. 
Marta's triggered by that, and she explains Marta left Cerevejo to get away from what was going on, and she went to a kind of a city northern in the mountains. Well, apparently, the Serbian, the Bosnian Serbs got up to there, to that village, and Stephen Tanzik was with that crew of men. And they took all the men and all the, the boys over seven, and they took them into like a shed and shot them. And they took all the women and children, and Stephen Tanzik recognized Marta because they went to grade school together. Which, can you fucking imagine? Oh, no. She, basically, he kept her for 27 days, she counted, uh, three weeks. 27? I, (gasps) did she say 27? I think she said said 22 or 23. He would rape her, brutalize her, and then he would threaten to kill her a lot of the time. Um. They don't mention, again, I would have to do more research on this. Um, They don't mention how she was liberated. She got out and came to New York. She And she claimed she didn't know that Stephen Tancic was even here. So I just want to say the whole time that Marta's telling the story, and it's awful. Olivia's making this face. just kind of like, ew. (laughs) Like, like that's kind of the only way I could describe it. Well, Marta is one of the better actresses in this episode, in my opinion. So (laughs) I'm like... Marishka, you need to like t- turn it up a little bit here. Because I mean, I think this is one of her earlier roles, but this woman's like chewing up the scenery and Marishka's just like, oh no. I feel like she's letting her dig her own grave a little bit. She's trying to get information out of her. Marta goes, is there anything else you need? And Liv just goes, not at the moment. <laughs> and she says it like that. She says it just like that. Like not like, not at the moment, you poor, poor woman. Like, not at the moment. Which is funny because it's clear that Olivia thinks she's a suspect, but also does not want to yes sorry i lost my train of thought because i was just thinking about how awful that was (laughs) sorry became a victim of my own recollection (laughs) well we'll move on so we move on to sort of a new scene stabler is at school with fucking kathy stabler and they're having their dumb parent teacher conference about the dumb stabler kids and stabler gets a phone call from olivia and he's just it's, it's like a classic kind of like hello what you did what? Yes. Well, what'd she say? I am angry. <laughs> and then Kathy kind of looks over and gives him a, oh, is it her again? Yes, it is her, Kathy. Take a fucking hint. Have this meeting on your own. Your husband's doing better things. He's busy. So my favorite part is he's like, we'll talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, okay, daddy, yeah, we'll talk like, about it tomorrow okay, Dad. then. <laughs> so then we go to another scene and Olivia is at a very chic looking dinner with her mom. Olivia calls her mother? Yeah. It's very odd. She has a very odd affect to her voice. It's very, I don't know, it's kind of like Frasier, where she talks very very proper. Like, Olivia. Olivia's telling her mom, filling her in. We're like mid-conversation about it. And she's kind of talking about, this was a weird conversation, because on the one hand, she's like telling her mom about how she like believes this woman. She's like that this woman's a victim and how awful it is. Uh, but and like that she like is like happy that she probably killed Stephen Kanzik and then the mom goes oh but that's awful like why wouldn't you why would you want that and then Olivia shouts in the middle of this really beautiful restaurant that's probably in Midtown and most likely a modern Italian establishment you were raped it is very abrupt it's we're clearly getting information that the show it is literally the show shouting in our face Olivia's mother was raped and you guys need to know that uh, it is not, it is not, it's clunky. It's a clunky, Subtle. it's a clunky scene. Serena says, you shouldn't, you shouldn't want, you shouldn't have wanted this man dead. 
while also saying that she doesn't want Olivia to kind of out Marta as being most likely the killer because of the son. And Olivia goes, but, you know, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you want to kill your rapist? And Serena goes, well, if I hadn't, if he hadn't done what he did, I wouldn't have you. Yeah. The, Which is just. The show does not want us to want wonder. I, like the show is like, oh, I hope they don't like sit there and wonder. We're going to tell them right now. Yeah, no, Olivia is a product of the rape. Thank you. That's why the Cragen and Elliot are like, oh, I don't know if she can handle this because Olivia's mother was raped. And not only that, but Olivia is a product of that rape. So they're worried that basically her history, just her, literally her life, is, is going to be a problem for her being able to maturely handle um, Serbian rapist war criminals. So, yeah, we establish Olivia's big drive for not only this episode, but the rest of the series. And then we have to... How do they find Anya? She's just on this list of victims, apparently. She's on this mysterious list of victims. And so when you're back at the station, apparently the next day, Elliot is looking all sus at Olivia and being like... You think, you don't think she mur- Wait. Okay, he's calling her out because she's kind of trying to look like, oh, I don't think Marta Stevens had anything to do with Stephen Tancic's murder. And Elliot's calling bullshit being like, you really think, you really don't think she had anything to do with it. She goes, her hands were fine. And so I see no other reason to bother this poor lady. And that was kind of like her whole thing is that the hands were not damaged. So apparently there was like, ex- because of the force of these stab wounds, these multiple stab wounds, 37 exact stab wounds to Steven Stanzik, the piece of shit's body. Aside from the broken nail, apparently it would have caused damage to the hand. Uh, so she says her hand is fine and we should just move the fuck on. So they go to investigate Anya Rugova, another Tanzik victim, and at her restaurant. They're like, we're going to go talk to Anya, who immediately, if you're looking, has a bandaged hand. And is not a subtle actress at all. Um, and her restaurant is called Sarah Vejo. <laughs> They're like, yeah, this so. bitch is the other bitch that did it. Just if you're wondering. I know you can be proud of where you're from, but it's sort of like low key. It, it would be akin to naming a restaurant like Waco for me. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like if a restaurant in Waco, Texas named a restaurant Waco, you just kind of be like, all right, well, I know it's still a place, but like. I guess you could say that of Oklahoma City, too. But I think of that, too, immediately as soon as I hear Oklahoma City. But anyway, so named a restaurant Cerevejo, basically saying, look at me, look at me. I killed Stephen Tanzik. Yeah. They're like, do you know Stefan Tanzik? And she also immediately by her face. It's like, yeah. She knows him because Stefan Tanzik killed her husband and her four-year-old grandson with a hatchet. So once again, pretty, pretty good reason to hate somebody. And then they tell him, she's like, why? Why the fuck do you want to know about that? They go, well, St- Stefan Tancic was murdered. And she says, good. And they're like, we noticed you have a bandaged tan. She's like, oops. And they're like, do you know Marta? And her face is just like, she does like all this like overacting where she's like. Uh, oh, uh, so much. Her mouth may say no, but her face says yes. They ask her, they're like, where were you? Again, no idea. <laughs> In my life, it's been a month since I started investigating this, but apparently it's only like two days later. But they were like, where were you on Tuesday night? And she says that she was in the restaurant until past 1 a.m. So if you remember, Marta was also at her office until around 1 a.m. Got a bunch of workaholics over here. Hmm. So they go outside. Elliot notices that Anya is using her right hand to write. The left hand is damaged and that her signature was sloppy. So Olivia goes, well, she could just be like, you know, really right-handed she goes no her signature was sloppy as hell so she's definitely writing with her bad hand because the left hand is damaged 
Um, so Elliot theorizes, and this is basically, this has got to be probably what happened. Um, Elliot theorizes that Anya got into Stephen Tanzik's car just out and about in the city one day and recognized him, but he didn't recognize her. And so that since she recognized him, because remember, if we remember what Munch said, that somebody called the cab company where Stephen Tan- Stefan Tanzik, a.k.a. Victor Spicer, worked about like a month ago. So Elliot theorizes that either Marta or Anya, but most likely Anya, because probably it sounds like she doesn't a victim of Stephen Tanzik's rape. Maybe that's why he didn't recognize her. She let Marta know and that they basically stalked him until this day that they killed him. They get pictures of Anya and Marta and they go back to the cabbie diner. Um, and this is all happening too fast. Like Olivia's trying to stop it. She's like, no, no, I don't think any of this happened. And they're like, no, no, we're he's like, we're, we're putting to stop to this fucking now. So they go back to the diner. They find the witness. So do you recognize Anya or Marta? And he can't, he doesn't recognize either of them. I mean, it was like midnight when this happened. So it's dark. And Olivia's conflicted, and she says to Elliot, there's basically no proof. Uh, so right here, this is where shit gets real, but also super fucking confusing from a procedural standpoint. Because he just goes, he's like, all right, we're going to arrest him right now. It's going down. Oh, yeah. We go back to Marta's office, and they arrest Marta, and she's crying and asking Olivia why. And while, while this is happening, Stabler's on the phone and being like, oh, we're going to go pick up Anya at her restaurant. I want them transported separately. But I'm like, they would never do what they do next. I know, because that is not what they end up doing. They do not transport them separately. So first, they they arrest Anya, and Munch calls her Miss Slice and Dice. And I'm like... Thank you. Excuse me. She is a... Disgusting. She is a a victim. I mean, I know she might also be the... um, she might also be the murderer, but Miss Lysendice, bro. A murderer of everyone's like, oh, he was a father. I don't care. Yeah. Miss Lysendice. Yeah, he walks up to Marta, who's crying. She's distressed. Clearly not the bad bitch of this duo. No. And he goes, oh, is this Miss Lysendice? Like, you piece of shit. Did you not hear that she's a Serbian war crime victim? Yeah. So I take back. I take back earlier in the episode and I was like, I wonder why everyone's so mean to him. I'm like, no, good. I'd have, I'd have been mean to him too. Yeah. Elliot goes inside Anya's restaurant, again, Saravejo, the aptly titled Saravejo, and lets her know that she's under arrest and she asked to call a lawyer. And for some reason, yeah, like, Mar- I just want to note, Marta's outside of the squad car at this point. Maybe to, what is it, what is it, to like- Incite kind Anya of, into like a confession or something? Or maybe make right, Anya think to like, that she'd like rolled on her or something? Something like that, or maybe to, like, kind of coax her out, like, see your friend is distressed, don't make this worse on her, come out. But at the end of the day, they did not transport them separately, as Elliot said would happen. This turns out to not be the play. Procedurally, I don't think they would go let a person call their lawyer right now. As Anya turns to go call her lawyer, she reaches down, grabs a giant knife, and just holds it to her chest. And everyone's like, no! And I forgot, I wasn't sure what was going to happen because I was like, wait, what does she I exactly could, do at this point? I could not remember if she perhaps tried to attack the officers and then died by police fire. But no, that is not her move. She, in a quick move, stabs herself in the leg, severing, I believe, her femoral artery. I believe that's the one in your thigh. So Anya lays dying. She is on the ground and there's no coming back from this. Stabler's like hovering above her and you see her grab his face and whisper something in his ear. What is she whispering? So, new scene. We're back at the station in the interrogation room, and uh, Queen Angie Harmon has joined us. 
briefly because they were still nailing down the perfect the perfect ADA. So they grabbed Miss ADA Abby Carmichael from the original Law and Order, and I thought she was like a hard ass in Law and Order, but here at SVU she's kind of like a pussycat. She's like, hmm, I don't think we can get much of a sentence, guys. Marta is in the middle of telling them what happened at. 43rd and 11th, where that cabbie diner was. They saw Stephen Tanzik's or Stefan Tanzik, aka Victor Spicer at the time's free cab, and they hailed him. They get in the cab. When he speaks to them, they both immediately recognize his voice. And so they look at each other, and apparently Anya just took out a knife that she happened to have in her bag and starts stabbing the dog shit out of Stephen Stefan Tanzik. He obviously crashes the car. They get out, stab him more and more and more. And that's what happened. ADA comes out and says that they're basically going to get him on man. First of all, Cragen kind of like excitedly goes, man one. She goes, no, we're going to get her on man two. It's like the men in this episode are really pumped to prosecute these ladies. Like I understand from like one point of view that Cragen does not want his people under investigating crimes and you can't choose the victim. But I'm like, dude, st- go like spend an hour reading Stefan Tanzik's file and then maybe like. And have yourself a humble donut and a humble red vine. Most likely, Marta will only serve 18 months in a... They do say psych ward, which I thought was kind of rude. Um, That's what they called him back it, then. But a mental health facility, mm-hmm. I presume, receiving treatment for her very severe PTSD uh, that we're finally being respectful of, kind of. Olivia was very convinced back before they hauled off and arrested these two ladies that there was absolutely no evidence that they even did this, really. If Marta hadn't confessed, would there even be evidence? Like, is Anya killing herself even really evidence? Because it's like, she might have just been, when you think about it, it could have just been one of those things where they're afraid they're going to go to jail for this thing. They've been tormented enough. Unless Stefan Tanzik's peeper is under her pillow at home. I don't think they have any physical evidence on Marta. And they do heavily imply that Marta's confession is partially a lie because they bring up the... um, the either male or female who made that call inquiring um, about, um, God, it's been so long, Victor Spicer, the Victor Spicer call. Right. And so they go out. And Cragen's fucking salty. Cragen is pissed again, I guess, because women should just be in jail. What part of procedure were you mad at? Because I would be mostly mad at Elliot thinking, having the bright idea to cause a fucking scene in Midtown, bring everyone hither and fro, and incite a suicide. You know what I mean? Like, I would be more mad about that than anything else. I mean, I would think as a police officer, he would be more in trouble for one of their um, suspects dying by suicide in front of them than, like, any of the shit that he and Olivia actually pulled. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like they're more, he's more mad at Olivia in the end for, like, I guess going to talk to Marta in the first place. This is your get-out-of-jail-free card, Olivia. I was like, shut up. He goes, so we're supposed to sit here and believe that these women were just walking around with five to seven inch knives in their purses just on a day to day. And they happen to come across this guy and just happen to have the knives and stab him. Uh, Well, so he believes that they most likely like what Elliot's theory was was that one of them saw him a while ago. They stalked him, ended up killing him one night. But I do want to say, Cragen and writers who most likely live in New York City, uh, ladies do walk around with knives in their purses. I know it's illegal in New York and you're not supposed to do it, but we do. We carry the knives, we carry the sewing needles, we carry the pepper sprays, we carry it all. Check your male privilege, Cragen. Did he, am I crazy or did he basically tell Olivia she was off the squad? He basically said this was your one chance and if you blow it again, 
I'm like, well, LMAO. I know. I'm like, all right, well, that's an empty fucking threat. So they sit down at their desks, tail between their legs a little bit, but they kind of know. Olivia said to Greg, and basically, I did what was right. She was like, I did what allowed me to sleep at night and whatever. Olivia says to Elliot, Anya said something to you, and what was it? Yes. And Stabler says to her, she whispered, I just want to be with my family. Which, as we know, Stabler's big driving force is his family. So it's kind of like Olivia had her trigger, Stabler had his trigger. And (laughs) it makes me think of this comic you sent me years ago, which breaks down every SVU case. And it's basically like Olivia's like, oh, my mom was raped. And Stabler's like, I've got a family. (laughs) And that's like their driving force for every case where they're triggered. That's so true. So basically, this one was just like both in a nutshell. And as he says that, we get the famous executive producer, Dick Wolf. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. That was the episode. That was the episode. It was, I think this episode, I like the jury scenes. Like the scenes like at the trial. And I know they did that brief one just for us. And you know, that was my favorite scene. But I think we are missing some of the order. <laughs> there was no order. Right. It was very heavy on the law. Not so much the order. Very good point. That's the thing. It's like, so sometimes I feel that the order part sort of wraps up these more confusing aspects of the investigation for us. Because I'm like, now I'm left here because we do. We learn about, that's how you come to learn a little bit more about how the law works. Overall, I feel like it feels very classic. And the only thing that like gives away the fact that this is a pilot episode is all the exposition they have to do. Like they're like Stabler's a family man. Olivia's mother was sexually assaulted. They are the sex crimes unit. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty expositional. It was still enjoyable. Oh, I had a good time. I know I was like, oh, obviously, I was very snarky. I had a great time, guys. Oh, no, I should clarify. I think that it's going to come off as I'm like, (laughs) I'm potentially an anti- We are the biggest Law & Order SVU haters out there. This is a hate podcast. Welcome. You have been wrapped into a hate podcast. No, it's more like I'm taking to task some of the things that I didn't realize at the time were, I don't want to say going on. It makes it sound sinister. But some of the dialogue, really, I mean, really some of the dialogue, dial back the dialogue of some of it, just because like, not even shortcomings my ass you putts had someone like in a writer's room was like yeah and then the guy gets up and he shakes his dick and he yells shortcomings my ass you putts head exactly that was written into <laughs> me with my communications degree from a teeny tiny college i think i could have done slightly better it was a good listen great first episode because it really it did come out the gate strong as hell it came out strong i'm very much now that I've seen this episode three times, I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I, I am too. If I never hear the name Stefan Tanzik again, I'll be... Fuck that guy. I'm excited for the first for the next episode because I think I know which one it is. And if I'm correct, it is a doozy. It's oh. a fucking doozy, if I'm correct. If I was a good a, podcast a dialogue host, I would written down the name of the next episode, but... uh. So the next episode is called A Single Life. And just for a little bit of a log line on what it's going to be, Benson and Stabler unearthed several suspects in a case, oops, in a case of a woman who fell to her death. So does that give you any, does that, does that, because I, I think I remember this one this, and it's a doozy. This is ringing zero bells for me. So I'm actually really excited to get into it. We'll see how well it's I remember doozy. this episode. Oh, I'm excited. 
Uh, are there any parting things we should say or? I think we can save especially heinous for next week because I think I already, my especially heinous would have been Potshead and I already went off about that quite a bit. My especially heinous moment was probably weirdly enough. Well, it was probably Disco Queen because I just couldn't believe that. And Monique Jeffries just coming out the gate and talking about how much can't eat pussy. Oh yeah, that God. was pretty. I literally clutched my pearls. That was that was especially heinous. I just want to go on record and say that I think that Munch probably is not bad at that. I'd be down to find out. His fucking name is Munch. How did we not like cover that? And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this has been the inaugural episode of the Elite Squad Pod with your hosts, Brittany Porter. I'll say it for you. And Paige Agrella. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you.